Hey there, I'm Ezra Zayed. On the Ezra Zayed Project, we present stories, moments, and anecdotes of individuals navigating the prospect of discovery and adversity. On today's program, John Hendry. Hendry, you can hear me okay? Yes, I can. Terrific. Well, I can hear you. Yeah. Because I haven't got my earphones on. Yeah. Uh, And I don't need them on for the computer. Yeah. That's John and me. We're testing the levels, and I'm hoping to impress him a little that maybe he'll notice how far I've come after all these years. He's been more to me than just a teacher. I call him Hendo for what counts as his surname, Hendry. All right. I think we're good. We're good. All right. Excellent. <laughs> for a couple of years, we shared the same roof. Back in 1999, John was the housemaster of this boarding house at Geelong Grammar School. And in that same boarding house, there's me, a nervy teenager in a foreign land. And at the time, I didn't have the grades nor the guile to figure out the pitfalls of teenage life. My recollection of the first time I met you was, was probably 1998 when you still had the role of careers master. Of careers master. And right. I think what you were trying to encourage everyone was I think it was supposed to be the office with the answers of what would happen to your life as a as a young teenager and asking how do I sort my life out? And what was your perspective of of those moments as each person comes into that room and how did you feel about that process well i it was very challenging because in fact you i didn't know the individuals as i needed to know them in order to help them through what becomes a real mire of of challenge if you like it was difficult and then what are their aspirations what are they thinking at the moment and i would ask uh, just project Five years ahead, Ezra, where do you think you'll be? What would you like to be doing? What would be a dream? Just give me an idea. Uh, because the world's your oyster, like it is. You can do anything. And I believe that people can do anything. Uh, so it was a matter of encouraging people to think outside the square in, in reference to their own um, imagination, if you like. Uh, and it was was fascinating, and I did it for a long, long time uh, across a whole range of um, students uh, and families and so forth, and it was a challenge to make certain that they didn't limit themselves. It's, it's, it's one of those things when you ask a young kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you say these things because you've heard other people say it. That's it's a right. Mexican or, wave effect. Or it's tied into family or whatever. What I really wanted was every child to be a... Magellan. Be, <laughs> In what way? Well, well, to be out there and explore. Just just be brave. Go out there and, and, and think that'd be interesting and to follow an interest in a, in a genuine way rather than just, oh, yeah, that sounds okay. But to be really genuine about what they were and knowing that uh, all roads were worthwhile. John believes that relationships matter and that fundamentally we learn through relationships. It's a lesson he learned growing up in the small town of Echuca along with his parents and two brothers. Um, I have a twin brother. 
You do? I have a twin brother. I don't know this about you. Yes, I have a twin brother, uh, and we are closer now than we have been for 50 years um, because our lives live quite separately and differently. Um, And his name is? Russell. Uh, He was an engineer and has retired and retired a number of years ago. 20 years ago, not quite 20 years ago, uh, and did very well in life and lives uh, a terrific life. Um, and But our lives were totally different. Um, and we didn't live separate lives. We interface now and then, but not often. And we were not identical. So when we were 13, I was uh, seven inches taller than him and two and a half stone heavier. So I was, uh, he was a little kid. Um, and he, we struggled with that disparity uh, as siblings, and so we had a younger brother who was unfortunately killed, and so that impacted on our lives substantially. Uh, it kept me in the town for another year because I couldn't leave because my parents would have had three sons and then none. How were you navigating that that tragedy at the time? in relation to yourself or in relation to not wanting to leave your parents in, in that situation? Yeah, that was difficult in in all sorts of ways, difficult in uh, dealing with it. This is a small country town. Um, uh, the accident was that he was hit by a drunk uh, and killed uh, and the subsequent, you know, uh, events that followed that, I... <laughs> Uh, the son of the fellow who was driving the car was in my class. Um, wow. So these are very intimate things. Um, and you know, he, the driver of the car was a really nice, wonderful fellow. He had just had too much to drink. So, you know, these were pivotal understandings in my life uh, and remain so. My father was uh, genuinely able to forgive him. Hmm. Um, and and the, your mom? And she struggled. Uh, oh, as far as the man was concerned, I think she was able to, but she could not forgive herself for not actually uh, doing what her mother should have done, was to pl- pick him up rather than let him ride his bike home. And so there were, and so it was incredibly difficult for a couple of years when uh, these things are really raw and and. And uh, I considered that I had to stay at home. So I did. And that that was an important process in my life. Um, and it's, it's interesting in that the accident happened on my 17th birthday, so Russell and myself. So every birthday, the video is played. And this is a constant reminder of the importance of relationships in life. John began his teaching career at the age of 22. And for more than 50 years, he's been involved at all levels across primary and secondary schools in Australia. But it nearly didn't pan out for John that way. Well, five and six, I was stammering very badly and stammered right through until probably I was 26, 27. And all the time thinking, how can I better uh, manage communication 
and you know they they made the the film about the King of England, uh, the right. King's Speech, yeah. uh, which was a similar thing. Mm. You know, it was compacted very quickly. But uh, how do you overcome the uh, embarrassment of of actually making errors in? speech and watching other people to see when you do stammer, what is their reaction to that? Now, if you haven't seen The King's Speech, it's a film that revolves around the true story of King George VI. No spoilers here, but it takes this intimate look at the relationship of a speech therapist who helps the king overcome his stammer. And if you go to The King's Speech, he also asked him to actually sing because it enables you on a a tune basis to actually run words together. Well, I stammered badly as a adolescent, young adult, um, and I had to um, pass an allocution test at Melbourne University in order to become a teacher. And I'd done all the pre-teacher training service stuff and passed it all and so forth. But in order to get a licence to teach, I had to pass this test. And I couldn't. There was no way I could read what we had to do. We were in this big auditorium. There were about 600 uh, people who, who were just finishing their education degrees. And we were just asked, sitting in rows, and we moved forward to come up onto a stage to a lectern where there was a, a, an unseen piece of prose that you had to read. Three adjudicators, and if you read it correctly, then they passed you, and if you, you, you didn't, then you didn't pass. So the closer I got, the more nervous I was becoming. For sure. And not only was I becoming nervous, but all my friends were, John, you, you, you won't be able to do this. You know, what, what, what's going on? This will be a and so on. And anyway, I got there, I walked to the lectern, and everyone, there was a white noise. And I stepped up, looked at the prose, and I sang it on plain song, which is just on one note. Mm. And within a moment, the white noise disappeared and everyone started to cheer because they thought I was taking the mickey out of the organisation. They thought I was having a shot at the whole process. And of course I was not. Yeah, you were just and trying to get across the line. I was just trying to get across the line. And I turned round to get acknowledgement from the three adjudicators and they said, Mr. Henry, room 224 at one o'clock. So I appeared at room 224 at one o'clock, went in, opened the door, went in, sat down and I was berated for being a smart aleck, taking her and I said, look, I'm sorry, I stammer. And they were embarrassed. Wow. And I did it. I explained why I did that. Uh, the gentleman of the three, there were two women and as the adjudicators, he said, how could you teach? And I said, give me a chance. So they sent me to a very small country high school and my first lesson, there were uh, seven students in my class. I wrote my name on the board. In those days it had to be Mr Hendry and under it I wrote, I stammer please be kind, and in 50 years of teaching, not one student was unkind. 
But the interesting thing, and I go back to why didn't why didn't students actually take advantage of the stammer? Um, people were kind because I was kind, and we reflect what's thrown at us. galaxy, as you said a long time ago in this conversation, we, that I was talking to you about a galaxy of relationships. We form many relationships, so they're of our bidding. Other people form relationships with us, that's of their bidding. And then we have relationships through just sheer vicinity. This morning at breakfast, I was served by someone. You know, that's a relationship. How I deal with it, so I dismiss the person or do I acknowledge them what, what and so how we do this defines who we are not how good i am at an interview or how good mm. I, it defi we are defined by the relational contributions we make in life how we behave in relationships so you know when you're going through university you're going through you're running out on a sporting field you're going into a boardroom or whatever the quality of your contribution will only be registered if your behaviour is understood by others as being constructive. I believe we need relational intelligence. So in our eye, I've come up with a, a, a you know, a relational uh, index. Uh, so um, instead of a, an IQ, we have an RQ. So what is your capacity to form a relationship? And I want people to actually understand that they have a a real capacity to form a relationship. Some people are better at it than others, so we need to teach about relationships, how they can, and then we will don't have people who isolate themselves and we will have... And you feel that it can be developed and it's not something that you either have or you don't have? No, no it can be developed. It can be developed. And how do we know that? Because of neuroplasticity. We can learn. Uh, and so if you want to be really good at relationships, you have to practice. If you want to be good at forgiveness, you have to practice. If you want to be good at tennis, you've got to practice. If you want to improve your backhand, practice it. And so these are really important things. You want to run an institution where people are gathered quickly and feel part of the team, then you have to develop a culture that is welcoming, that is forgiving, that is all the types of this kind. And so this is a resilient culture. A resilient culture is a kind culture, it allows people to actually be themselves, not be what they think they should be. A lot of what you're discussing when it comes to relationships, I mean, that applies to even the romantic type. And it, oh, absolutely. And are there nuances that are different to that as people try and figure out the, the trenches of love and relationships, or, or, or is it absolutely similar? Um. Well, yes, it is. Uh, but um, there are moments in a in a emotional relationship where people uh, become completely infatuated, so they lose perspective, 
uh, and they behave in ways that um, are over the top. And if there's no synergy between one and another, then that's harmful. So in essence, relationships are on the basis of continual nurturing. So we need to teach people how to form relationships, then how to nurture a relationship, how to deal with the mistakes that are made, how to deal with the changing nature of a relationship, and how to, if you like, conclude a relationship. And we have to do that, and we don't. And it and anyone who's been in a relationship with their soul knows that there's so many peaks and troughs in yes. each person individually and then to navigate those changes collectively. It is hard and, and people don't really know quite how to navigate that. that. That's exactly right. And so we need to spend time talking about this. You know, we have married counsel, we have all these counsels. Sure. But, but we need, need to spend time individually. And this is the battle going back to what we talked about previously – do I put myself first or the other person or the relationship? Now, it's the relationship you should be putting because if you put the other person first at your ex expense, then you will not be able to make the quality contribution you could make. And if you put yourself first, you're not making a quality contribution you should make. But if you put the relationship first, then you're both working together rather than apart. And this is really important. So it's like teamwork. So you have many relationships and do your former relationship seeking benefit. As soon as the benefit evaporates, the relationship's over. Yeah, it, it creates resentment. It does. Yeah. So you you not seeking benefit but giving benefit. Mm. And at any time you can give benefit, any time. I guess continuing this path that you've been on for so long and, and what are you excited about? Why are you getting up every morning and, and what are you looking forward to? Right. I'm working with schools because I think the way we need to change society and the way we need to get society to be more resilient and so forth. I'm working with schools uh, in getting them to focus directly on relationships, in quality relationships. So we're looking at developing with each student and within the institution a relational-based education system. So primarily, you want to teach someone, you need to make certain that you've got a good relationship. And if we can do that, then we'll change the relationship possibilities as we were able to change them, we were able to change them, you and I and others in the house, for an ongoing sense, for the lives of every boy who went through the house while we were there. Everyone has looked at it in one way or other, and it will have either directly change them or indirectly change the way they perceive themselves in the concepts of uh, what they can contribute to life. Well, Hendo, I think, you know, um, I've thanked you many, many times, but I'll continue to thank you right now for making such a huge impact on my life. But also, it gave value and meaning that I am continually on discovery mode which is a really nice thing. That's what life's about, Avery. Yeah. And uh, if I have a chance at doing this onto others in my haphazard well, way. You are in the people I've met today. Mm. And this this is the legacy that you will leave. And it, 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 it is playing it forward. This is why I've gone to schools. Yeah. It's important. It, it, and it's, it's important to get it that early on as it well, is. isn't it? It is important to get it. And you can change... Mm the culture 
um, and uh, culture is unbelievably important. And I was in China trying to explain uh, how, how important culture is, uh, and I came to the idea of a fish tank. Yeah. So if the water is polluted, that nothing thrives. Clear the water, right? Look after the water, oxygenate it, do all the things that you have to do. Do it properly.、Uh, keep the water clear, and everyone has the possibility of thriving. All these things are culturally important, so they add to relationships. But Ezra, it's you know, I've been fortunate in life. I've had wonderful young people that I've been working with, and you know, my I'm just a fortunate man. He now lives in Melbourne, Australia. Before travel was restricted, he spent time on the speaking circuit at industry, education, and sport conferences all over Asia Pacific, Europe, and Canada. He also consulted UNESCO on issues related to bullying and school violence. And if you're interested in learning more about what John describes as the five elements of what makes a quality relationship, I've produced a short bonus episode that you can check out as well. I reached out to him before wrapping up this episode and asked him what books were on his bedside table right now. It includes *Morality* by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, *Talking to Strangers* by Malcolm Gladwell, and I would second that recommendation too.、Uh, *The Hour* between *Dog and Wolf*: How Risk-Taking Transforms Us, Body and Mind. He can be reached at takethesingle@gmail.com. Or if you just want to find out more details about this interview, including resources, transcripts, and recommendations, visit ezrazide.com. The Ezrazide Project is made by me, Ezrazide. I host, produce, and edit the show. I had help on this episode from Ramah Pauzi, Chunsaw, Sabrina Yusuf, Raisa Nadine, Kubir Jathwani, and Malati Kamarudin. This episode was mixed by Meals. Music for this episode is provided by Blue Dot Sessions. If you'd like to follow me on social media, at Ezra Zaid is my handle on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as well.